You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. I'm really excited about a new Austrian show on Netflix called Freud. So excited that I tracked down the director of all eight episodes, who the co-creator of the show, Marvin Krenn. We were able to organize a Skype interview with him. He lives in Vienna, in Austria, and we had a fascinating conversation, but the quality of the connection was quite honestly terrible. So there are a lot of interruptions and a lot of sputtering and things like that. So we decided to make it a bonus episode. Those of you who are really interested, I think it's worth listening to all the way through, but I think the average viewer is going to have a tough time with it. So I love the show. I love what he had to say about the show, and I recommend it, especially in hibernation. So uh, please give a listen to me and my conversation with Marvin Cran. I'm Mick Garris, and from the safe distance of Nice Guy Productions' world headquarters overlooking the evacuated San Fernando Valley, this is Postmortem. I've spoken a lot on this show about the many international horror treasures I've experienced in my travels to film festivals around the world, and I hope we've helped introduce you to movies that you might have otherwise missed. Well, the travels have stopped, and we are all in this together. Treasures await us if someone would just give us a guidebook. Well, Netflix may well be the X that marks the spot. Among all the streaming options, they seem to have curated and created the best international fare in our genre. Because they've gone global and have found massive success around the world, they are funding movies and television in every language and territory. Of course, it's tough to separate the wheat from the chaff, but that's one of the reasons we're here, right? Television offers us an amazing panoply of wonders these days, from The Walking Dead to Penny Dreadful to The Outsider to Marianne and countless others. But I was feeling adventurous one night while we were sequestered and searching for our next binge, and for some reason, an Austrian TV show in German with English subtitles called out to me. I answered that call, and boy, am I glad that I did. To call it unique and surprising is the understatement of the year. It's not the biopic you expect it to be, not by a long shot. Our guest, via Skype from Vienna, so please forgive the imperfect sound, directed all eight episodes and wrote two of them. He has a grand history in Austrian horror, in television and film. We'll meet Marvin Krenn and dig deep into one of the pleasure treasures available for binging now on Netflix. It's a little crazy out there right now, so Fangoria is offering a free two-month digital membership to everyone. Go to Fangoria.com for more information and to make an account. Then pour over all the exclusive articles, interviews, and reviews on the site, as well as original video content and podcasts, like this one. You'll even have access to high-resolution scans of the first 15 issues of the original run of Fangoria magazine, and counting. 
Go to Fangoria.com now to start your free digital membership. And if you're looking to add to your social distancing watch list, Fangoria's latest movie, VFW, is now available to stream on demand, and Satanic Panic is now available to watch on Shudder. And by the way, so is Nightmare Cinema. So Marvin, you're in Vienna now, in Sigmund Freud's neighborhood. Tell me, yes, right. Tell me how things began on this this project, and maybe why don't you give the audience, who I'm sure is mostly unfamiliar with your show, uh, just a little one-liner about what Freud is to you. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Much an honor to be on your show, to be on a guest, and um, to get interviewed by you. Oh, thank um, you. Well, I just uh, came out uh, at the end of March. Uh, we premiered the show at the, uh, also, uh, which is a big success to have a TV show at a film festival. And, well, um, I think it's always very important um, as a director to find a personal approach into a new project when you, you when you come on board and for Pro Freud it was pretty fine he's from Vienna I am from Vienna and for everyone who was in Vienna it's a special city and I think there's not another city uh, where Freud could found his idea it's a perfect habit to do something with the Vienna soul of the people here. The people are very spectacular in in their soul. There has a, a big diversity. Because on the one hand, they are very friendly, and on the other hand, they are very grumpy. <laughs> and this dynamic of their souls is, I think this is this perfect history he, he, he had in the city. It didn't change, um, I think, in the last hundred years. We, we, we're still the same assholes. <laughs> so did you, did you research it heavily before you got into it, or is it part of your DNA that everyone in Vienna knows Sigmund Freud? You breathe Sigmund Freud here. He is everywhere. He, uh, I think he influenced all of us. He influenced... Uh, uh, the art he influenced uh, uh, the, 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 the way we are thinking and he influenced the, also the film and back then when I was in film school I had this little essay of him where he describes the uncanny um, and that was also a very important uh, influence for me for, for because you know I did horror films previously uh, one was called Rambok, and for the for the hardcore fans, the other one was called Blood Glacier. Blood Glacier, so, or Blood Glacier. Glacier. Uh, yes. So, so, so I think um, thriller or horror films. There's a deep connection between um, horror films and Freud, the subconscious, and all all of that. So the show uh, we're telling about Freud, it's it's we all have this this old bearded father figure in our head with the cigar and looking sinister to the camera and untouchable. But we wanted to tell the story about the young Sigmund Freud, who is not a father, who is all of energy 
energy and of sense and of 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 um, um, a, a very restless young person and try to figure this young person before he became a mega fat. What you're gonna see if you watch our show on Netflix is it's not a biopic. It's a story we we start with the young Freud, but it's going to be a Freudian work if you if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's so it becomes Freudian thriller, a Freudian dream in a way that comes to life. Because what people are not going to expect is this takes a turn into the supernatural. It truly is a horror series, and you're going to expect this dusty old story. Here we go again, the story of Sigmund Freud. But it is anything but that. But it represents so many of the things that Freud was all about. It is very sexual. It's about dreams. It's about fear. It's about, you know, all of these things that were in Freud's formative years that took shape over the decades to follow. Absolutely. So uh, let me tell you, the, the young Freud didn't found the ideas he later found out. So we're telling the story about the young Freud who just found out that there has to be something like the subconscious. He was in Paris. He's, he learned something about hypnosis. And he, through hypnosis, he found a very uh, powerful tool to come somewhere where people don't want to go. And he describes the subconscious as um, a place, uh, as a dangerous, dark place. Um, and that's why we we took that, we took this, this inspiration for our story, to tell a dark story. And to, 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 that's why we drift to the uh, very organic, to the, to the genre of horror. But Does you, it make sense? Absolutely. But you... Have you, you've been a lifelong horror fan. I mean, you've done cop shows, you've done uh, Austrian and German television. Um, Four Blocks is a thriller, but your first two movies are really balls-to-the-wall horror films. Your first one, uh, Rombach, <laughs> is about a virus, and it's sort of a, it's a zombie film in a way, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, and and uh, as a as a horror filmmaker, I the one who can't watch horror films <laughs> or <laughs> who has to be really in a good state, mentally state to watch horror films. And I was really? thinking about what is it? What is it? Why can why can I do horror films? But why can I watch? And I think it has to do with the subconscious and with Sigmund Freud because. Watching a horror film is you giving every you give your trust to the filmmaker, and you do the journey into yourself. You you meet places you don't want to go. You meet dark. Um, the reflection in, with yourself starts watching a horror film. But making a horror film is it is different because you're in charge. You can control it. Um, going there, uh, you you can guide your heroes there. Uh, this is the difference. But my love, where, where does my love come? Making horror films. I think it has to do with my grandmother. She was a great artist. Uh, she did looms. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, no, not looms. She was working on a loom. She did tapestries. Right. So, tap- so she would yeah, weave tapestries. Huge. Wow. Yeah, she would weave tapestries, and I was 
she took a lot of care of when I was little and I was always with her and she was doing this and this, this special sound, it's a hypnotic sound till mm-hmm. to the night and smoking cigarettes and drinking wine. And then late at night, uh, she switched the TV on. And back then in Austrian broadcasting channels, they showed real classy movies like uh, Night of the Living Dead or even <laughs> 100 Days of Sodom. And she didn't recognize because she thought I was asleep. But I was secured by her. And watching the <laughs> most horrible uh, films, Deep in the Night, the funny thing is I was somehow very, I felt very comfortable on the one hand. But on the other hand, uh, uh, I was frightened. Well, you were know, seeing things that were frightened. not. You were seeing things yeah. that were not appropriate for your yeah, age. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it was. Uh, on the other hand, I, uh, it made me to a, uh, to um, to a good filmmaker. I think because of this, because of this early age, um, nobody should do that to these kids. Uh, but uh, I think it was not so bad to see horrible films at this early age. Well, like me, it gave you a nice career, you know, starting when I was a kid, my grandmother would say things like, where's that gruesome stuff going to get you, Michael? And it was like, well, a career, perhaps. How about that? (laughs) So um, that began in your childhood. Um, Did your parents, did your family uh, support this this love for doing that? Did you get a little video camera when you were a kid and make your own movies, things like that? Uh, well, I came from a family uh, with a lot of artists. My mother's an actress and, and so on. And theater and movies, they were always surrounded by me. So it was nothing uh, special for me. So to doing it, it was like something which was there. But what I back then, my parents, no, my grandma didn't earn enough money. Their art it was just passion and a lot of misery. So I was not actually really drawn on to the field of being an artist, actually. So it came after after uh, serving. In Austria, we have to serve um, army. Right. After school, we have to go to the army. And actually, after that, uh, I start figuring out what I want to do, and then I, I, I find my place in in, in, in the movies. And was it horror films that that you wanted to do from the beginning? Mm. I was always fascinated uh, in horror films, but. Um, As I said, that the Night of the Living Dead, seeing as a seven-year-old, was such an experience for me. I've never, never, never will forget when one of the songs with their, you know, the test. Right. <laughs> I will never forget. But then I, I, I um, somehow I lost the connection to horror films. And I was working when I was really young, like 21. Uh, uh, working for a 20th Century Fox um, marketing department, uh, marketing, ah. and we had this pre, uh, pre-screenings for the um, for the marketing for for the for the marketing crews, and I never heard anything about the film 20 days. And I was sitting there and I saw Danny Boyle's uh, zombie yeah. take, and I was jumping up 
and I was screaming <laughs> and it like it it's it all the energy of me wanna become a director came back in during this film. Because you know, the energy of this film was was um was something very special then in the early 2000s. Nobody did that. The the the, the, the hand the, the hand cam and the music and this um really um how do you say physical approach uh of and this, fast zombies uh, too fast <laughs> fast zombies uh, yeah. yes the first fast zombies right and yes and then i said okay what he he gives me i want to give to the to to the audience as well though, this kind of energy so this was actually the initi initiation uh Becoming a director was then it was 28 years later. And you wanted to do a zombie film and you did one with Rambach. Yes, yes, yes. That was after uh, I did film school uh, in Hamburg in Germany and I met a great guy, uh, my long collaborator, Benjamin Hessler, whom, um, with whom I studied. And he's, he's, he's my screenwriter. He writes uh, every important film I'm doing. Uh, he's much more clever than me i'm like <laughs> the 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 body and he's the brain uh and he um and he had and 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 he had this idea of 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 Rambok, of an austria of a german take of a film because uh american zombie films is always a killing handing someone a gun and killing zombies but our take was like a surviving film like what do Germans do in a summit? We talk with each other a lot and we figure out and we stay together and it's a lot of finding a plan before killing. So you will not see one zombie killed in um, in, in, in Rambok. Okay, that's great. <laughs> well, tell me about the film school. Well, first, actually, let's talk a little about being in Europe and being a film student and being a filmmaker you're able to get such amazing production values in a city like Vienna. You don't need a lot of money to have production design to die for. The buildings, there's such deep history that we don't have in the U.S. of, yes. of, of revered architecture and locations that are spectacular that make it feel like you're seeing a multi-million dollar production when you're not. What you saw... And, and Freud, if you if you're speaking about that, is we shot the whole of Prague. Um, and in Vienna, everything is uh, renovated, too much renovated. So if you shoot, would shoot here, everything would look too nice. Really? So we have to go to the in the East Europe. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but you true uh, um, um, the material what we. You have in Austria, you know, the, one of the greatest filmmakers, Billy Wilder or Fritz Lang, they are from Vienna. And uh, plenty of other great artists are from, from Hungary and from Berlin and so on, from, from uh, Hollywood uh, eras. And yes, we have this, we have this tradition, but somehow we, uh, we lost it through the 80s and 90s. We said, okay, the cool stuff comes from America. Mm -hmm. And we don't do cool stuff. And doing a, uh, such a free take on Freud uh, would have not been possible without Netflix. Mm. You know, we needed Netflix 
to do something like that. Um, before everyone controlled by Austrian or by national broadcasting channels, and there were sitting people who said, no, our audience is much too old. They would not allow uh, such a, that you play with such a national treasure like in that way we, we did it. That's the cool thing about that about globalization in one sense is that um, we understand as young filmmakers, uh, I'm not so young anymore, understand that we can, <laughs> we, that we can get inspired by our own history and being more playful with, with, with that what we have. Hopefully um, um, the global audience will, will yeah. Well, it it certainly gave me a great reaction, and you know I want to spread the word, and and uh, uh, because it's a true horror series, it starts out looking like a very classy public television drama, um, and we're <laughs> meeting young Freud, but it's not afraid to spill blood, it's not afraid of its sexuality, it's not afraid of its darkness. And you directed all eight episodes, so it has a vision that runs throughout. I mean, when I did The Stand, that was an eight-hour miniseries where I did all of it, and I think it helps to have a... I love it. I love oh. The Stand. <laughs> Thank you. But it, it has a cohesive vision throughout from beginning to end that I think can only come from a director's vision that, that you have impressed upon this series. Yes, um, and it it could uh, cost uh, it uh, it cost me my hearing. Really? <laughs> I lost it for uh, yes, yes, because the work was so immense. Uh, uh, on the one hand, I knew I need to do all these uh, eight episodes to have this vision because um, I see it so often in, in TV shows that you love the first two episodes of something, and then somehow. Although the showrunners want to do the best, but it is so complicated to transport the vision to the other directors, although they are good. You know what I mean? It is it yeah. is very complicated, the showrunner system. And in that sense, I said, okay, I want to do all of them, but we had uh, less, um, we had not so many days. We had 86 days for, for these eight episodes and one episode is 50 hours. Um, and uh, I did all those, and then I had to edit two months. I don't know if that is uh, in in American um, context uh, how much is it of if it's a lot or if it's less. For us, it's not much. And um, uh, and then I was working like, uh, like one year without any 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 pause, and yeah. then suddenly before mix, I didn't hear shit. I didn't oh, hear no. Oh. So I lost completely hearing. How did yeah, that yeah, happen? I, I, How was, did that happen? It happened because of, of the last music in episode. Uh, and I knew I need the perfect score for the last uh, moment when we say goodbye to Freud. Um, and um, so I, uh, to the composers, uh, I was not um, satisfied. So I did one round after another and recognized that he couldn't deliver any more, anything more. So I, I needed to love the, the last one. And uh, I couldn't. So I asked him again. And that produced a lot of stress for him, for me. 
and I was listening like uh, this one song like for for five hours oh, to understand what it did. So and suddenly I, I put off off my ear phones and I, there was no hearing anymore, just a loud. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! But luckily, there are yeah, luckily there are doctors, and they gave me some injections. And after three days, the, the hearing was back, uh, and uh, I could do them the the, the the mixing. But yes, um, the great thing uh, was the the thing was we we wanted to do a show which is called Freud. It should not be a biopic. It should Freudian work. When we start understanding what that means, was great free. For us, uh, creators, for Benjamin and for Stefan Brunham, and we could uh, dig in into the uh, into really provocative worlds because Freud itself later he he was very a uh, very provocative scientist. So people was very people were very angry back then uh, about his uh, way he interpreted the psyche of of us people. So so that. That motivated us to also give everything uh, in, in in sexual uh, topics and in violence topics because he's speaking a lot of the it and the it is like the animal uh, which uh, is deep in us and which wants to break out and live our anarchistic life of free life. Um, so that's why. It has these violence outbursts in in, in, in the show, but uh, also you go deeply into Freud's use of cocaine, and he becomes more and more and more dependent on that throughout the eight hours of the show, and I find that fascinating. I mean, you can't help but correlate it to the movies we've seen of Sherlock Holmes and the like. But um, tell me about how you made the series reflect the hallucinogenic quality of his drug use? Well, if you watch any any show right now, I think every every main actor or main character uh, is taking any uh, kind of drug right now. It's, <laughs> it's like... Very popular. It's like a dose of... of, of uh, yeah. So, uh, but in the case of Freud, it was really... Um, uh, biographical correct it was it was biographical correct um, in his early years he discovered and he really liked to to take it um, and, and 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 this form of the the, the coke gives a, a nice dramaturgy element to show a young man who's all already um, not really mentally healthy. That's right. what we are saying here. But, you know, Coke enhanced that. And so so in uh, during the episodes, he he gets much more into the, the, the abusing of, of, of Coke. It's taking much more and more and more. Um, yeah, this is his dark journey. It uh, it reminded me a lot. Structure. Yeah, yeah, it reminded me a lot of the Mantle Twins in David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. All right, never saw that. Sorry. Oh, highly recommended. Highly recommended. Okay, but um, okay. but Freud also 
offers it to others as treatment in your show. Yes. And I find that fascinating that he uses his own addiction, what he needs to survive in his world and share that <laughs> with his patients or anyone basically he says, here, ha have some of this. Yeah, but if you, if you read his um, extraordinary, everything what he wrote back then when, when he was young, he, he really tried to control his legacy, right? Uh, but there are the letters to his wife and later the letters uh, to William Fleece, who was also a doctor, uh, who survived. Those letters survived. And he really believed in cocaine. He didn't believe in cocaine as a drug. He believed that it, it makes him better. So that's why we used it so, um, uh, so open. Right, right. Well, tell me about bringing... It's, this... not, it's not a taboo. It's not a taboo. Tell me about bringing the supernatural into this story, because it's a very, very natural progression you don't expect it at all, but it comes into it, witchcraft and, and various elements that take us to something that is more than what's real. Um, there are two approaches to, to answer that or to go deeper into that. On the one hand, I'm fascinated about the occult. I, 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 also because of my grandmother, because she did, she did this um, witchcraft, not witchcraft. Uh, say the the Wookie board. Uh, oh yeah, in English. The Ouija board. Yeah. Ouija board. <laughs> when yeah. I was a kid, so I was always she she was she was very into the occult. Uh, so, so this is deep in my uh, artist DNA. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the other, uh, on the other hand. Uh, the occult was a big thing in Vienna at that time. People meet up, doing seances, and at, this, and at the same time, at the same time, seances were kind of a science as well. Uh, but it didn't survive. It didn't become a science. But it was a science back then in in Vienna, and. Um, And then we were thinking about about the occult, about the uh, about that, and and find out that the, the approach of the occult is very similar to psychoanalysis in the way of the method, because you're sitting together, you're quiet, dark, the room is um, is dark. You concentrate and you f you go in and you start thinking about yourself. You start to think about the people you miss, uh, and it, it, I think it's a very emotional process. Of doing occult things, and and there we find the connection be between Freud and Fleur Salomon. She's basically actually the same thing with other words like Freud does later on. A lot of people will hang me for this, what I'm saying, <laughs> but that there were a mission, a legitimation to bring those two worlds together. And, and this subnatural, if you, if you really focus, uh, watch this show, really concentrate, 
is that um, that uh, there is nothing supernatural, supernatural in it in the show. Everything which happens in the show um, uh, can be described through science somehow. Right. So it's grounded. Yeah. It's oh, everything's grounded, but it, it comes as a really horrific horror show. And this is what, what what keeps me and Benjamin going from the first moment we we were working. Here's a screenwriter, me as a director, on our um, genre uh, uh, scripts that we all uh, we find it very intriguing, very interesting. Always to dis to, to to find a way. It has to be a scientific uh, explanation, you know. Right. And it can be supernatural. Like you know, this dynamic always interests us. And Fleur Salome, she she is a very sick person, and her past um, made her that. And with her with her visions, we dig into um, her past. She has this ability uh, of see more than others do, and I believe a lot of people. I believe in something like the sixth sense. I believe that. Something like this is real, and she has, but does that doesn't make make her like a supernatural person. Um, and when we dig into her subconscious, we see those horrific and horror elements because it has something to do with what she experienced as a kid and what kids experience. And it's much, much more than uh, what the mind does to the kid is it, 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 it is like a black box. And that, that's what she experienced still when she's a grown-up. Oh, uh, Floor Salome is an amazing character and beautifully performed. Um, was she an actual uh, person? Or is she an There adventure? is... Um, she is uh, more an invention, but she is influenced by Louis Salome, who later in Freud's life, a uh, close friend and the first female psychoanalyst um, in his in, uh, in 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 history. But she is somehow like a, like a throne for Fleur Salome. But it's a it's a it's, a, it's another person. I see. So tell but it is about a woman. Yeah. Well, tell me uh, about the difference. You were talking about how restrictive Austrian and German television is, um, and how the people who run the networks and the like uh, think they know their audience, that it's older, that it's conservative, and and how you were able to take this vision to Netflix and make it come to life. Well, previously I did the show. Uh, everybody who loves good gangster stories uh, should watch Four Blocks, especially the first season. It's for me, and um, this was my first uh, series I did um, as a show. And this show was really successful in Germany. Um, mm. I was working with uh, real uh, criminals and doing oh. a big gang a gangster saga with um, Arabic mi migrants in in Berlin. And uh, after that, uh, I had my, my, I had, you know, they were really interesting uh, in me working um, with, uh, together with me 
So I had on the one hand, we had Netflix and on the other hand, um, we needed a co-production partner in Austria and Austria definitely the, the OIF, it's called Austrian um, uh, OIF, the, the national broadcasting channel, they, they really wanted. And this is very traditional of uh, television making here. I, in, in previously, I was thinking, so what happened, you know, for me as a filmmaker, do I have to do a version for them and for Netflix? And the funny thing was, uh, uh, they let me do what I want. And I was thinking, when will they tell me that they don't want to have a sex orgy in episode five? <laughs> they didn't tell me. But it didn't. It didn't come. So uh, there was kind of a, a, a wild card for me till to the editing. Then there was the editing, and suddenly there were the people who were saying, "Okay, we can't show that like this." So we had one version for uh, the uh, uh, ORF and one for Netflix. I see. So there were two different uh, two different cuts. There's the director's cut on Netflix. Two different cuts. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, one of the special things about this miniseries or this series is the cast. It is so beautifully cast. Every one-line performer in it not only is really good at what they do, but they have unique faces. And tell me about the process of putting that together. Did Were they all veterans of film and television, or did you get them from stage, or were there new people involved? It's, it's a very impressive and unique-looking cast. Thank you, thank you so much. So casting is uh, it, it's it's my main thing, and um, there is nobody. Uh, I let no producer or no no in-house producer of any channel speak into this. Uh, I this is really my thing. So um, I do a lot of uh, casting, and uh, um, I have this. This, this 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 connection somehow to, to certain actors and uh, I love those those actors who um, act very out from their instincts who are who more about sensing than and and impulses than than a craft or than not craft you know than technique. Right, so it's all about instinct and playing the moment as it happens, rather, yeah. rather than yeah. you don't do a lot of rehearsals. Uh, it, you like it to happen on the set on the day. Yes, yes. No, no, that's not true. I do actually a lot of rehearsals. Uh, I'm working together with uh, a with, uh, actors coach uh, very closely. His name is called. Uh, he was previously on my, with Michael Fassbender when they were young and and. and from Hardy, and he is also very, very much in witchcraft, so brings the, the whole uh, cult into, uh. into, in, into the process. And, and working with him is, in, uh, is very interesting because this is my fifth project with him, because together we found out that we had to go to the core of a scene, of the major scenes, uh, uh, with the actors. So really we do everything in the, in, in, in the rehearsals, which happened once 
before we shoot um and we we start crying together and we we we're lying on the ground and we're shouting at each other so we lift all that out together because you know when you work on the set and everything is in cars and you have these times and just have probably sometimes just an hour to get the scene right and you don't get it right because something doesn't work right but with that tool what i implement in my work uh we we have been there together we have been at the maximum emotional power a scene can deliver we were there so i don't care a fuck on the day where we shoot the scene that the situation is not right but because we have been there so i can tell the actors remember we have been there it's all about the the, the commitment of actors and my commitment um to bring something very um authentic organic emotional organic uh in front of the of the land so yes but i need or uh, i need this, this this commitment from actors i need this commitment and i to get my commitment as well well so um uh, rehearsals are very important so it becomes the rehearsals are far in advance and by the time you're on the set it becomes a sense memory that they can call upon yeah so, sense, sense memory yeah right. so they're able to be spontaneous but having already experienced it once before absolutely and i think especially if you're doing if you're working into the genre i think it's so important to have good actors performances because as you know they don't do ordinary drama they have to find the um to the genre in an authentic realistic way because if they don't do so uh, it gets very easily not believable and then the whole approach to in a genre piece uh, can 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 be um can be does that make sense absolutely i've always said good horror is good drama first yes yes uh, absolutely absolutely yeah 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 absolutely that the marriage between a uh, good drama and uh, and and horror is the most important thing well let's talk about doing this period film i believe this was your first period film and second period film okay um but let's talk about the veracity of it uh how much research you do on the uh, you know well you shot in locations that were spectacularly beautiful and were rich in atmosphere and emotion uh but let's talk about the difference between shooting a contemporary story and a period story um I have sometimes the problem with uh historical films and series um and I try to find out what it is that it it, it bores me um and I think it has something to do that uh cameraman uh, uh the, the the DOPs or the directors or the art directors they fall in love with the subject they fall in love with uh, the historical approach um that everything looks different uh, than uh, than the normal life because it's you know costumes and uh, carriages and and stuff like that and the thing was that we said it's not historical it is it of course it's 
explored, but it's not. So we, we should be so used to it. So you won't actually, you do, but please forgive me. It's one of the first shots in the, in the series to do a white shot, but we try to avoid so many white shots as possible. You need, of course, you need white shots to get the rhythm. Uh, in uh, a film language rhythm, you know what I mean. Of course. But uh, we, we try to avoid uh, white. We try to do these classical white shots where courage comes and people walk. So we try to be in it like it would be nowadays. So, so not not shooting. We try formally. to avoid expectations. You're being informal yeah, and treating it like formal. it is is contemporary, but with historical settings. Yes. But yes, 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 absolutely. But there must be a difference, too, you know, even in the work in the States that I've done and in a couple other countries. Uh, once you're in a great location, um, how much that makes a difference to how the actors feel, how you feel, how it inspires performance, right? Absolutely. Uh, doing historical films is, is one of the most beautiful things you can do because... Um, you really lose yourself as an into another universe. Um, uh, and what else, what better is there uh, for us uh, filmmakers to lose yourself into other worlds? Um, and it's very easy in, in, in terms of historical stuff. But in, in terms uh, but of... For me, it was so... Yeah. No, go ahead. In, in, in terms of Freud, it was uh, something very personal because uh, the time we are speaking of, all the very important writers, thinkers, and painters came from this time. If it's Kokoschka, if it's Klimt, if it's Arthur Schnitz, uh, uh, if it's Stefan Zweig, they more or less influenced the, 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 the coming up a hundred years of us. Um, they are all born in that time, you know, and going there as a young, uh, as a, as a, as a filmmaker and try to live their life and, and try to dig in, dive into their, um, into their, uh, surrounding, uh, is, 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 was chilling and really, really, um, energy giving, that giving. So, but even technically, do you find yourself lighting in a yeah. different? Do you find yourself lighting in a different way and and shooting things? Uh, you know, obviously, you don't have all the neon lighting and fluorescence and things like that, um, and it can't help but help your mood when you're in these vast, um, you know, four hundred year old buildings and the like. So, the one hand, um, with the art director, we try to to um, deliver or to create uh, real authentical settings that looks uh, appealing to, to the audience. So we work with um, a cold light from the outside and with a warm light from the inside. This is something what we know actually uh, from several other movies. Um, there we work with the expectable. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm uh, as a filmmaker, I am very impulsive with the camera. I am like, I, I, I want to look in uh, all directions, you know, um, and uh, which is uh, my camera is very chaotic some, some, somehow in, 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 in the best sense. I want to be there where the moment is. So the actors are the most important thing and not the cam camera. 
which is for the genre film a, a completely different approach because the camera directs uh, the view right. somehow. You know, for shot for the classic But my sense, I am very Hennigan. I love that um, physical approach. So my cameraman was really hating his life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, to 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 fill, fulfill all 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 my demand. Uh, at the one hand, uh, to to let it look uh, like it that it's really you know um, um, I, I don't have a better word for for quality or for expensive or for right. a good picture. Right. Yeah, the beauty because you need your time as a DOP to make the perfect to make the to make a good lighting. But then uh, and I said, I want to have the camera uh, in all directions at the same time. And also because we had to shoot in, um, we had this, this, this pressure doing this on a day, you know. So uh, that was complicated uh, to do. But So you kind of we... had to use practical lights, actually see the lights in the room yes. that rather than having lightning. me too it looks so gorgeous and so real and thank you it's it's beautiful tell me a little bit about the film school experience that you had uh when you were young that that gave you these tools to help you express the artistic side of what you did when i came to film school um in germany uh uh, it was quite difficult because uh, the, the, the German soul is different to the Austrian soul. The Germans are really like they like to talk too much. About <laughs> uh, to, to, they're, they're very you know democratic and 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 which is good. And learned a lot about them working in a group back then. But I'll shut up! I'm the I'm the director. <laughs> So, and uh, we do it like this, and nobody wanted me in the first year. So, uh, what I learned uh, as a film student was that there is not just me, that there is a writer, that there is a producer, that there is a cameraman, that, that there are all gifted people, that, um, that we have to work together to find um, to find a perfect um, to, to do the perfect film and I'm very very grateful uh, for, 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 for for this learning yeah it was very important and uh, I met Benjamin my brother uh, in, in mind uh, my, my, uh, and, 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 and we start creating your our, our career together and yeah what what I found out was um, was was a lot about genre because uh, everybody else back then were really into uh, these classical short film dramas. You were in, in the world uh, super, but they were these classical short film dramas about realistic. And uh, Benjamin and I, we went to the genre um, and yeah. tried to combine to, to combine both both elements. We tried to combine. The classical uh, drama with the genre stuff. So, so and 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 our, our major short film, which was called Chartag, 
uh, won a lot of prizes and gives us the chance to do Rambok, our first horror. So when we back then, we understood the the, the genre as a, a Trojanian uh, horse. You understand? Yeah, yeah. Well. We're getting close to the end, but before I wrap it up, I want to talk about the one thing that people in the States may be familiar with that you did is from ABCs of Death 2. You did R. Um, yes, yes. So tell me about that. Uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, it, everything happened uh, back then when I was at the great Fantastic Fest in Austin. And uh, Team League invited me there, and I was presenting uh, Rambok there. And then I had the chance to meet Ant Thompson, I think his name. Yeah, Ant Timpson, yeah. And he, he is Ant Timpson, thank you. Sorry, Ant. <laughs> and, and then I was in Toronto for uh, at the TIFF at the mid, mid, uh, uh, Midnight and he asked me if I want to do uh, one episode. And of course I said yes. Uh, and it was a big honor uh, doing, doing, being part of this great, crazy thing. <laughs> great, Colin. <laughs> well, it's been great to talk to you. And, and I just really can't tell you how much, how special I think Freud is. And I really hope that our audience will seek it out. And despite the technical problems we've had, I'm, I'm hoping that it will be a good listen for everybody. And uh, so, Marvin, thank you so much for being with us. Mick, it's such a pleasure, such an honor to get interviewed by you. Uh, you're, a, you're a legend, and uh, thank you so much. <laughs> God, in somebody's mind, not mine. But thank, you are. Uh, you th are. Thank you, Marvin. I appreciate it so much. But I really appreciate the same air. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right, let's get a bigger audience for Freud all around the world, and hopefully, we well, can talk again soon. Thank you so much. Bye bye. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world.